Hey everybody, this is your girl, Liana Michelle. And as always, this is Faithfully Her. I wanna thank you guys for tuning in today and coming to join the conversation with the very beautiful Jasmine Bradford. And I don't know why I always do this, but it, it's my beautiful move. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Jasmine um, was raised in Inkster, Michigan in a single family parent home. Jasmine credits her mother into molding her into the woman that she is today. She is a graduate of Michigan State University, and she also obtained her master's degree from University of Michigan in social work. So a straight up Michigan girl. Yay. Um, <laughs> yes. Jasmine is the chair advisor for the Inkster Delta Gems and a life skill coach serving the youth of Inkster. She is also um work she also works with a nonprofit organization called SOAR that we're definitely going to get more into and it's um and she's going to tell us what SOAR means and everything. I'll let her do that. She is also the owner of JB, the resource agency, LLC, which provides administrative support to community-based organizations. So everybody, if you could, please put your hands together for Jasmine. All right, Jasmine, again, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So let's just jump right into it because I too was raised in a single parent home and I credit my mother for everything. Like she's gone now, but I look at the patterns of my life and the things that I do and they are still rooted into the lessons that she taught. So mm -hmm. let's talk about that because you were also the um the oldest of how many children? I am the eldest. It's a big mix of us. All together it's nine of us. Ooh. The young, right? The youngest three are foster children, but of course those are still ours. And then um there's like three in my mom's home and then the other five are in my dad's home. So it's all been a good mix and always been the eldest and taking care of them. So that's kind of what brought me into, you know, caring for everyone else in the world. Well, how is that growing up being the responsible person for your younger siblings? Hmm. I would say younger, like when you're younger, it kind of feels like you don't have a choice, right? So it's like, it's not something I necessarily wanted to do, but as you get older, you start to see that you're you're more caring, you're more nurturing to your friends, to your family, um, to anyone that you come around. So I really do appreciate that part and where it comes from. Also like leadership, I'm really, really big into leadership. And actually, to be honest, when I was younger, with me being the eldest and me having to babysit and all of that was really I would say sheltered or, you know, I didn't get out too much. So when I got to college campus, I feel like I only had like two ways I could have been. I could have been one acting a fool because I finally got freedom or it's like, we know your mom instilled this into you. You know, you have discipline. So what can you do to still reflect that? So I just literally got busy on campus, like got on every org possible, all of that, just to stay busy, which that could be a whole nother thing for work-life balance, but um, <laughs> it still, it still helped me, you know, and making sure I'm still nurturing to others. So. Okay. 
And that's that's a good thing because that does count. I, I've talked to a lot of people who said that they found their calling very early on in life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they found themselves working in service and so forth, starting at a young age. So I really wanted to touch base on that, too, because you have been very instrumental in um, helping out in your community and doing positive things within your community. So with going to um, college, was it always that that driving you that said I want to do something that's going to be community um as a community service or did it just kind of happen because like for me when I went into college I was thinking business and then mm-hmm. I got to math and statistics and the math got harder and the statistics and I was like uh-uh, I need something where I could just read so I switched over to criminal justice and then psychology mm-hmm. So was it just something that was always in you or did it come as you were there? Yeah, well, one boot boot to the social science. I love seeing my social science. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But two, yeah, I would definitely say mine was very similar. Um, At first, because I was good at math and the sciences and all of that in high school. So I'm like, okay, I'm good at this. I know I need money. So let me go into like finance or accounting or something like that. And at first, like that was my major. I set it on there. I'm ready for the classes. But I was like, I know that's not necessarily going to make me happy. Like that's not something I want to do over time so I started to really really sit down and think before I even got on campus I'm like what do I want to do like what is my passion what's going to make me happy because that's was that's the number one thing if I'm not happy I'm not doing it so I was like what I have to make sure I use my time wisely especially because if I just came back for me in the eldest I'm not trying to go back home I want to make sure this is the plan for me so um again I just started thinking I'm like I really enjoy helping other people and I actually had like this social work 101 class and I actually I remember it to this day it was like the definition of a social worker it said professional helper in it so I was like wow that's what I see as myself like a professional helper so um from that class social work 101 actually taught me a lot about where I'm where I'm at today because it taught me social work one isn't just about snatching kids you know all those myths and stereotypes social work like so you're needed social work is everywhere um so that was one so I'm like okay so then um as I got onto campus like I started going straight like I said into organizations um really involved in black student alliance and then I started to see like the things that I'm doing the community work that I'm doing this is nonprofit work um so I'm like oh okay this I'm interested in nonprofit work so then I went into my master's saw will continue social work went to community change to learn the strategies of nonprofits and all of that so and I'm still really enjoying this work like it really makes me happy so I'm like okay like as long as I'm still having that feeling then I feel like I'm in the right place so that's where it's led me so far it's just continuing to do different things with nonprofits and learning the roles and yeah and you know I like that you mentioned that the myth um mm-hmm. people do kind of box us in um I worked as a social service technician um for a mental health clinic and then as well as a foster care caseworker And that was the myth that, oh my God, they're just going to come and take my kids or, you know, parents didn't want to let you in. They didn't want to give you the real information about stuff. 
And, and I'm like, I'm not out here to take your babies. I want you to have your babies. I just need to make sure that they're going to be safe. So let's exactly. just work on what you need to make sure that they're safe. And I had to find a different way of approaching that mm-hmm. to kind of put those parents at ease. So where they are willing to work with me in a more conjunctive manner, you know what I'm saying? Where they're not just fighting me tooth and nail every step of the way. Cause mm-hmm. baby, you face some stuff in the foster care system. <laughs> and they I'm trying to be with you, like, come on. Yeah, and I'm like, let's work together. We can make it happen together. It doesn't have to be a battle. You know what I'm saying? So I'm happy you said that. And um, also that social work is such a broad arena. You know, it's not just one thing. It's not just about mental health or, you know, foster care. It's so so much more to that because everybody, like you said, everybody needs help at some point in time where that social worker is going to be there whether it's providing resources or what, or just a listening ear, you know, everybody needs help at some point in time. So thank you for, you know, just putting that out there. Yes, of course. I'm always trying to figure out why people have this stigma on us, but I'm always going to correct them or let them know. I think that's the biggest thing is just informing people because once they understand, they're like, oh, okay, this is a way bigger purpose. And actually, after having that discussion, a lot of people come back and are like, you know, I think I want to study social work. So it's all about awareness. Yes. And I think it's just from past and previous experiences, you know, um, what in the 70s, maybe that's what it was about. You know what I'm saying? When we look at the family dynamic, especially Black family dynamics, I had um, Dr. William um, Reese on um, a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying the same thing as far as the Black family dynamic. And when, you know, if dad lost his job or, you know, wasn't enough money coming into the house and mom had to go to social services, it was like, oh, well, we can't give you food stamps because he's in the household or we can't do this because, you know, dad is in the household. So it it gave that stigma that social workers were not really there to help. They were only there to tear down. And I think that that has changed so much nowadays. Um, Even in the 90s, when I had my son, um, it, it was like the same thing. I remember when I needed daycare assistance, and it was like, well, who's his daddy? We're not going to help you until we find until you put his daddy's name on the paper. So honestly, in order for me to get any assistance, I had to give them his dad's name. And I remember his dad got so upset with me for that because they came after him for child support. And I'm like, I didn't go down to the friend of the court. I just had to give your name because I had to be able to pay for daycare. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm working, I'm going to school. Somebody got to keep them. You know what I'm saying? So... It is what it is at that particular point. And and I think it just, like I said, it creates that that bad, it puts that bad taste in people's mouth when it comes to social workers and everything. So um, yeah, we're more than just kid snatchers <laughs> and we're more than just people who want to get rid of the dad, you know what I'm saying? And I think that over time, it has changed a lot from just being that one thing and it's grown to being so much more than that. 
Mm-hmm. I'm appreciative of that because I'm, <laughs> I'm appreciative because I'm tired of trying to fight my title or try to defend the title. Okay. But you're going to be all right, though, sister, because you out here doing big things. So let's go into. Um, OK, before we talk about the resource agency, let's go into. So you were you were in college and you joined different organizations. How did you become the chair advisor for the Inkster chapter of the Delta Gems? And what what is the Delta Gems? Yes. So. When I was an undergrad at Michigan State, I crossed into the Epsilon Epsilon chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Um, so I did a lot of work on undergrad. And then once we graduated, I and I was actually in the middle of the pandemic when I graduated, where I transitioned to a graduate chapter. And so I took time, we saw, you know, easing, still pandemic. And then I became the chair of Delta Gems. And so that was my first leadership position in the sorority. And that is actually a youth group where um, it's for high school school we have a middle school and high school program for young girls Um, but both of them serve the same purpose of providing like monthly meetings workshops to make sure we're elevating our youth um so that is our main purpose and I've been there for about two years and then um you also asked about the other organizations right I don't want to go too far um, well, no, I was still oh. in the gyms. <laughs> so with the Delta gyms, I know you said, okay, so you guys do your monthly meetings and workshops. What exactly can can a young person expect at one of your workshops? What, what are they looking to gain or participate in? Yes. So they're all like life skills related. So in the beginning of the year, we're looking at like goal setting, college prep, career exploration. And then towards the end, we're getting to like money management. So we're trying each month is specific to where should the youth be at right now? What should they be looking at to prepare them for their next realm of life or, you know, after high school, next grade, whatever that may look like for them. Uh, So every month is some new tool that they can get or some new guest speakers, resource, you know, that they can have to make sure they can elevate. And, um, okay, so I have two thoughts. I'm gonna go with the first one because I didn't write it down. Um, So what if you come across a young person who is not really wanting to go to college? Do you guys provide additional resources for those young women where you could say, okay, well, maybe college isn't for you, but here are some other options? Yes. So specific for like that college prep career exploration um, time, we one, of course, we want to make sure the ones that want to go to college, they have like a checklist. So we have that going on. But that same checklist you can use for any type of program you may want to do after high school. So there's still more than likely going to be letter of recommendation that you need to do. You need to still build a resume. It's still important to get funding if you want to go to any type of program. So we do try to make sure that that the curriculum or what we're sharing with them, it can be delivered or received (laughs) in different ways from the youth. Okay. Okay. And that's good too, because I know, I know for my mom was just like, no, you're going to college. You're Mm -hmm. going to college. You're going to college. You're going to get an education. If I have to kill you, you're going to get an education. She was just like over your dead body. You get an education, like not hers, but mine. (laughs) So it was one of those threatening things to where, and even when I went and I took time off, she was not happy when I decided to take some time off 
and to explore other things. And when I did take that time off, she was like, well, you got to take some classes doing something. You're not just going to get up and go to work every day. You got to take some classes. You got to do something. Like she was so big on education being the key to success and life and being able to sustain yourself and take care of yourself that she was just like, I will kill you before I allow you to throw it away. Mm-hmm. So, but I also think that it's important for people, especially our young people who are not big on college to be able to take that time to say, you know what, let me figure out what I want to do. Maybe I'll decide to go next year, but this year I just kind of want to explore other options. And I think it's important to be able to be supportive of mm-hmm. them in that moment of their lives, because if you push them to do something that they're not ready to do, then that's going to put an undue pressure on them. And then when they don't succeed, they're going to take that as a personal failure. And then they have to bounce back from that feeling of failure. And you don't want to embark that feeling of failure on anyone. So I think that that's good that you guys are providing them those additional options and resources for what they may want to do if college is not the path. Exactly. Yes. And that definitely stemmed from like my background. Like you said, when you got parents that's on you, like this is the only option. It's like, okay, thank you. It worked out for me. It worked out for me. Okay, cool. But like my brother, my sisters, they're not the same. So, you know, it didn't work out the same. So I'm still going to support them. But just from learning that and how it affected us, I'm like, I have to make sure these new youth or as they're growing, they have their options. They know they have these different options. So they don't feel limited. that's definitely a big thing and a cycle we need to break yes yes and I like also that you spoke on money management you you guys are providing the money management because um like I was born in the 70s so I'm old but (laughs) so my mom didn't really like even though she went through like a hard financial and I always tell people the 80s was a hard decade for us like we were struggling in the 80s um but there was still never really those conversations about money management and how to balance a checkbook how to you know just save or spend wisely and so forth but when my son came along she was like on him like teaching him how to balance a checkbook and how to read the bank statements and manage his money and so forth so he's way better at man- man- money management than i was and even now sometimes i go to him and i'll be like hey so i think i want to do this but i'm trying to figure out the math behind it and he'll mm-hmm. he'll be like, okay, well, my, if you do this and you do this, then you could make that happen. So he is like the money management guy. <laughs> and I'm still learning at 48, still learning. But so I think it's important that that is an element to what you're teaching them. How, how are they receiving those type of workshops and classes? They're actually very excited like every month. And that may have to do with how we present the information because a lot of times, one, a big thing for when the upcoming program is coming, we give them a program outline and let them know, like, what do you want to see for this specific topic? So 
one, we make sure they have input and then, you know, do our part in making it come together. And then when they see it, they're just looking forward to, okay, one, this is, you know, some ideas that I put together that's in front of my eyes. And then two, it's like, okay, like I understand that these different components that you're teaching me are going to prepare me. And once they start seeing that, they're like, okay, like they really get into the assignments that they have, those checklists, their goal planners, like they really take it seriously. I mean, not just because we tell them, that it's important but it's because we show them why or how you know and yeah. make sure we get their input too so uh that's been working out really well and they just keep growing it excites me every time but yeah and that's good too because you want them to be a part of the process so allowing them to be able to communicate what they want to see and then letting them know the whys like I didn't understand why credit was important until I had to file for bankruptcy. You know what I'm saying? Like I had no idea why credit was important. And especially for our high school students who are graduating, every credit card in the universe is going to be sending you credit oh cards and information. Like they want to destroy your credit. <laughs> it's their ultimate goal to destroy your credit. And I was one of those um, 18 year olds with 10 credit cards and just shopping and living life and maxing them out and didn't understand the importance of credit. So kudos to you and your organization for teaching the importance of why credit is important, you know, proper money management skills and so forth. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. For <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get into um, the... Your agency, well, oh no, before we go there, I want you to break down what SOAR is for everyone. Yes. So when I was in graduate school, I had two internships. It was like a two-in-one. So I had SOAR, which stands for Strategies to Overcome Obstacles and Avoid Recidivism. And then there's also Survivors Speak. So SOAR does more like the life skills coaching. So that's where I got my training for that. It got that training from. And then that's also where I'm doing life skills training now. And then for Survivors Speak is more on the social justice side of things. So community mobilization social action and um, so for both of those organizations uh, they have taught me a lot when it comes to nonprofit management because I came in as a student intern but since then because I graduated from grad school 2021 and so I've been there for over a year longer than what is expected of me but it's just I learned so much and because they had those familial vibes you know I've always wanted to stay there um, so I've just learned so much from them. Uh, we've grown a lot. I'm the program director for Survivor Speak, program manager at SOAR, and uh, yeah, it's been a good time. So, what type of programs do you offer, and who are you really? Who are you targeting with these? So for SOAR, we do like harm reduction. So for us, we are trying to target those that are going through like sex trafficking, human sex trafficking. If you are um, using any substance or drug abuse, 
we understand that we can't force anyone to, you know, make any changes, but we can support you until you make that decision for yourself. Mm -hmm. So we do like boots on the ground, weekly boots on the ground. So having like clean supplies and different resources available to those that may be using. We also have our life skills that's weekly. Right now we're in the Insta area. So we like to meet with the youth that are going through ACEs. ACEs is Adverse Childhood Experiences. So um, if you're going through poverty, if any of those different disparities or, you know, those things that are really affecting low-income families, we want to be there to support them, making sure that they get those resources and do problem ID and referral. Then for Survivor Speak, we do a lot of different work, mainly in Washtenaw County of Michigan, um, where we're working with the county commissioners and the township councils, all of them to see what is going on. Um, our biggest thing is operation accountability. So we understand that the people are the ones that put any officials in their positions. And so a lot of times, especially around elections, they do all these campaigns, the wish lists, all that they're going to do. But when we get when they get in those seats, they don't do too much or they don't do enough. So Survivors Speak, we're all about making sure we hold them accountable. And then we define Survivors Speak as someone that has lived through any type of circumstances and able to tell their story. So that could be trafficking that could be something related to the councils it could be bullying anything where again we're letting survivors speak tell their story and how can we uplift them on a creative platform and so yeah that is awesome that is really awesome and I like the fact that you say are holding them accountable um I think that's one of the main things with um the community as a whole our our communities all around like you said, um, these politicians, they get on platforms and they promise you the world. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then they get in that seat in that office and they either do nothing or they don't do enough, as you stated. And then we fall back as the people who put them in there and we don't put that pressure on them to maintain or to uphold those, com those campaign promises. And to mm -hmm. actually make sure that they're following through with the things that they told us they would do, which is the whole reason why we voted for you in the first place. You know, I always say a lot of times with elections is almost like, um, what is it? Choosing the devil, you know, over the devil, you don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you have to figure out which which one is going to be the right one for you, because is both of them are a little shady sometimes. <laughs> so you know, you have to kind of really be careful. But one of the things that I look at is who is actually following through? Who can I actually say, you know what, they got in there and they put their best foot forward. They did all that they could. The things that they were able to do, they actually did. And then I kind of do the research on certain things like why didn't this education initiative passed well because nobody in the house was supporting it so it wasn't mm -hmm. that they didn't try it was the people that they needed to support that bill that didn't support it which is why it didn't get pushed through so okay because of that i can understand and still support that particular candidate you know what i'm saying and then you know that you have to change the people within the house it's not so much as that the, the candidate themselves, it's the people that's in that house that we have to get out there and change. 
So, um, yeah, holding them accountable is very, very important because it affects us all and nobody is immune to the effectiveness of the, the effect that it has on our families, our lives, you know, homeowners, taxpayer, like if you're a taxpaying citizen, it affects you. So do your research, vote you know, and hold your people accountable in your district, your councilmen, your, all of them, hold them accountable and, you know, stay on their lines, stay in their emails, keep the pressure on them to do the right thing by the community and the people who need it the most. And on top of that, go to your city council meetings. That is a really big thing that a lot of people don't realize. That's how you get a lot of things changed or voted on and all of that. So knowing that, learning how to get your issue put on the agenda, a lot of our people don't know that. Um, but it's good to know and to do your research. So Yeah. And, you know, we we spend hours on top of hours on top of hours on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, but we don't put those hours into research and going to those meetings, like you stated, and you know, doing our part to make sure. So if you take one of those hours away from social media and actually put it into researching your councilmen and the people who are running your city, then you can start to put change into place. And you know, when they say one person, one voice, can make a difference. That is actually true because what you realize is it's not just your voice. It's a mm -hmm. whole lot of people out here that have the same troubles, the same voice that you have, and they don't know how to get it done either. So if you bond and together, then you take that one voice and you make it a choir. Exactly. And that choir comes through the door singing them praises and they can't turn away. They can't okay. walk away. They gotta listen to you, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> You was, praying, you was preaching on the Lord's Day. You better tell him. This don't make no sense. <laughs> yes, but that's very true, though. Like, just please. I And it really does break my heart because a lot of people are just losing hope in a sense. Like, and it, it really, really breaks my heart. Like, even the ones closest to me, and they know how I feel about it, but it's only you fight the fight, right? And then you try to have other people join the fight, and you're trying to tell them, like, it's okay just keep going like I understand no changes have been made in the past year but just keep going you have to at least get in the habit of it so when that change does come you can you know feel proud of the part that you played in it so mm -hmm. keep going y'all please yeah and then and you have to also understand the process I mean you can elect me as the mayor and I could go in as the mayor but that doesn't mean everything that I want to happen is going to happen like that even though they have to go through their processes, they have to they have to go through paperwork and phone calls and emails and meeting after oh. meeting after meeting. And, you know, like it's not just I can't just walk into City Hall and say, everybody gets a car. You know, and because, you know, I know car insurance is a big issue. And I know that, you know, Michigan passed the new, um, that new process where you don't have to do the the no fault or you can, mm -hmm. so it kind of helped lower insurance rates for a lot of people. But look how long of a process that was, you know, mm -hmm. 
that didn't happen overnight. That was like years in the making. So, you know, we as the, the citizens, we also have to be aware of the processes and the things that have to go into making these new laws and these new policies is not just you can dream it tonight and it happens tomorrow. And I always say that we're such a microwavable society. Mm. We want everything to happen right now. And nobody wants to take the time to chop the vegetables, to marinate mm. the meat, to let it simmer on the stove, stir it every 10 minutes. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody wants to go through the complete process to make it happen. They just want it to happen overnight. And life just doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. And I'm going to have to take that one. Well, microwavable, microwave society, microwavable. Yes. It explains <laughs> very well. <laughs> oh, you I'm can have it, girl. You can have it. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so let's get further into JB, the resource agency. And you are providing administrative supportive services to community-based organizations. So tell me about the company. How did you come up with the concept? And what type of uh, supportive services are you actually providing? Because I might need to hire you. Whoa. So, yeah, so <laughs> I, I actually started this agency or started thinking on this idea about a year ago. So I had graduated from grad school, August, 2021. And again, I already like from grad school, I knew I wanted to do nonprofit. So I was like, okay, so I'm just going to start going into these different nonprofits. So even, even though I was still like doing volunteer work with SOAR and Survivor Speak, my internships, I started trying to go to different agencies. And I think I went to like two to three different nonprofits for like a full-time job. And I just, I felt burnt out already. And I just got in for like four to six weeks or like I can feel the energy of everyone feeling burnt out or it wasn't as effective as I knew it could have mm -hmm. been. And so it just got to a point where I'm like, again, I cannot just stay here or I can't, if I don't feel happy, if I don't feel like this is going to serve me overall, I have to remove myself. So I was like, I know that can't continue to be a habit either of like just leaving because everyone's burnt out. So I have to figure out how can I be effective? So I started to notice a lot of the time that burnt out or all of that started from the top, from like their administration and them not having that part together. So I was like, I know I'm really good at that part. I know I could be the most helpful there. So I I was like, okay, I'm just going to start going to nonprofits, checking on them, their well-being, and I'm also going to see how can I support them in their administrative services, because a lot of these nonprofits, it's a small but mighty team. So there's a lot of work that has to be done, even like those tedious tasks mm -hmm. that can kind of take them from their genius, you know, them focusing on their why of even creating the organization, because when you start building your organization, you're not you're not thinking about reporting every week or however that may be. Those are the little things people don't necessarily know they need to do to keep a sustainable foundation for their work. So um, for the resource agency, that's what we do. So I provide virtual assistance, administrative assistance to community community based organizations. And so the biggest thing is like email calendar management. So making sure you know we're 
answering emails in a timely manner, making sure there's no inquiries or people that you can miss from, you know, who you want to connect with. Do you have the calendar management as well? So that's if you have a meeting, making sure we, oh, uh, making sure you clean out, just make sure you have a very accurate calendar. Long story short. And then you have the budget and fiscal planning of everything. So that could be reaching out to donors and sponsors. That could be making sure we have a accurate annual budget. There's also this strategy called donation cultivation cycle, which is basically a strategy to make sure you're reaching out to your funders, but not just when you're asking for money. Like, are you really building a relationship? So making sure you have those different type of programs going on. And then there's also like the project management of things. So uh, making sure you have your agendas, your run of show, you have a accurate outline of how you want your programs to go do you have all your service book um, all your professional service book do you have your location so making sure that's all together and then there's also like the bookkeeping part and then a subcategory of project management but it's also most of the time included is document automation so a big big part like I was saying is reporting so you may need your annual reports you may need an infographic to show what has been your impact over the year it could be your surveys your different contracts so so all of those different templates, just making sure you have it. Even if you don't need it right now, you're going to need it as you grow as a foundation. So um, just make sure it's all there, organized and ready to go. So is this only for nonprofit organizations or are you looking at any type of business, whether it's a nonprofit or an LLC that is providing a community service? Yes. So it could be an LLC or a nonprofit, like you said, community-based organizations. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I probably need you because <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing most of the time. <laughs> like, yeah, I probably do need you. So yeah, we're going to be linking up and talking on the, the personal side really soon. Um, I'm in the midst of doing, uh, I have like two major events happening at the same exact time for this particular month so I'm a little like ah. but once I get over that well it yeah once I get over that hurdle then definitely I'll be able to focus more on the business side and getting it operational because right now I'm providing services but I'm not getting paid mm -hmm. um I've been an LLC for a little over a year now and I have not gotten paid not once <laughs> for anything. I'm like just pushing money out the door, just spending, spending, spending. But I haven't seen a return at all. And I'm trying to figure that part out. Like, how do I get paid? In a, and how do I get set up for the payments? Like, I know where I could get the payments from, but it's the the paperwork and everything that goes into getting it set up. So I can start receiving, maybe they could pay with Medicaid now, or they, you know what I'm saying? Things of that nature. So just that, that struggle, I'm in that, that, that mid moment of just trying to figure out the balance of it and understand it in detail. Cause I don't want to just be signing my name away and not mm -hmm. understanding the fine print of it all. And then I get hit up later on with the IRS and I sink, you know what I'm saying? So definitely need to reach out to you and someone who knows, you know, how to move forward in the right way. So um, definitely we'll be linking up. So thank you, sis. 
No problem. <laughs> so, yes. And also, just to let you know, too, I love what you're doing um, in the community with the Survivor Speaks and everything. And just to let you know, Faithfully Her is always available to help. So whether it's donations, if you say, hey, you know, we need donations for sanitary, you know, sanitary products or these type of things, or we're holding an event on, can you come and volunteer? I'm always down to help. And, you know, you, the people that have been on this platform knows it. They know I show up for them. I show up. I, I've hosted fundraisers. You know what I'm saying? To help raise money for other organizations and everything. So I'm always down to support and do my part to help, especially my my people of color, people who look like me, who are doing things to help other people who look like me (laughs) in the community, because that's important. And um, I just feel like I always say on this platform, it's important for us to always lend a helping hand to somebody else. Because we didn't make it to this place without somebody helping us, whether it was a teacher, a parent, a aunt, a uncle, you know, somebody was there to provide something for us in that moment that we needed it to help us elevate or get over a hump in our life. So I'm always down to help anybody that I can um, to just make it, you know, to make their lives better. And that's a part of my whole mission statement that I just want to help people become the best versions of themselves. I want, I want to see people win. And I remember when I used to work in mental health and, um, working with people who were battling substance abuse and stuff. And I was the supervisor over a housing department. So I would help get people off the street and get them into housing. But my thing was, in order for me to do this, you have to do something as well. And they used to be like, Miss Liana, you always making us, and you are, and I'm like, yeah, because I'm not just going to give you a check to go get an apartment. Like, I need to know that you serious. And the only way you could show me that you're serious is if you go through the rehabilitation program. Are you going to counseling? Are you coming to group sessions? How often are you seeing me? You know what I'm saying? Like, I need to be, we. It, it's a process here. It's not just you come in my office and I'm gonna write you a check. Like, that's not the way this works. And I will always tell them, like, if I have to drag you pulling and screaming across this finish line, you will win if you want to. And I will drag you if I need to. And I still have a lot of people from that um, agency where if they see me on the street or they'll reach out to me via Facebook in a message and say, thank you so much for what you did for me. You know, I had somebody reach out to me on LinkedIn and sent me like this long letter of a thank you and it was like because of you I got clean I got off the street I went I decided to start taking classes now I'm a peer specialist and I'm helping other people and it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you pushing me to be the better version so it matters it it really does matter to have that type of desire in your heart to help other people succeed so thank you for your desires 
Thank you. And thank you for what you're doing with this platform as well. Because I remember when you first contacted me, like you telling your whole mission, your vision, and I just believe it. Like even just the whole spiel you just gave us, it's really genuine. You know, like you just don't see that all the time, but you know, it's genuine when you feel it, you know, what's the long story short. So uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate your words. And I just bring all success to your platform as well. Um, and I'll definitely take you up on that support because I actually have a nonprofit called Project Step. So that's another thing for you um, where we'll definitely need some support up and coming and actually a big emphasis on what you just said on just being there for other people because with them life skills, them kids, they, at first they come in and they're like, you never, well, you never know where they're coming from, right? The environment they're coming from, the space. And they may have thought they lost all hope, but when they come across someone as genuine as us, you know, individuals like the, us that's coming here to serve the community, they're like, wow, there's still people out there that care, that matters. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Let me sit here and actually care and really think about this too. Cause you know, you're not giving up on me. So I'm not going to give up on me too. So that definitely is a big inspo behind the work that we do. And I appreciate you for being in the work with me. Yeah. And it takes us, you know, they say it takes a village, right? But just because that kid turned 18, you don't just drop them off. The village still has to be a part of the process. My son is 27 years old. And when I tell you I'm a mom every day, he be, he be on the phone like, mom, you know, I know this. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm a mom. So I got to tell you anyway. So, okay. so, you know, I'm your biggest cheerleader, but I also always have to be that, that ear reason and say, hey, make sure you're thinking about this and make sure, you know, you're doing this and you're doing that and you're protecting yourself on this end and so forth, because you just don't stop. I have had people say, oh, well, they grown. They can do what they want to do. I'm not getting in. Well, no, because if you are the Medea of the family and you're holding yourself to that title and you want to be respected in that title, then that title comes with responsibility. You can't just be sitting back like, oh, I'm the Medea. Give me all the praise. But Medea just letting all the kids run wild. Medea don't do that. <laughs> I never seen it. <laughs> right. Oh, my, my mother was a parent until the day she passed away and I was in my 40s so, and I was still afraid that she was gonna throw that shoe at me so <laughs> you you never stop being a parent you never stop caring you never stop trying to provide guidance um and speaking back to what you were saying about um the the young people who come into the program and they might be a little hesitant at first or you know kind of reserved in how much they want to share of themselves because they don't know what they're getting back mm -hmm. i just um i have been mentoring a young lady who um 20 20 something year old little young woman two children and she was living in a shelter and, you know, we started this mentoring process with her. And when I first met with her, you know, she was just like a little apprehensive. She thought she was about to be judged and so forth. And once we got to talking and she was like, you are so much realer than I thought you were going to be. And mm -hmm. I'm like, girl, yeah, I'm a person. You know what I'm saying? Let me Life didn't put me in a bubble and say, we're going to keep you away from everything that's bad. Like, no, girl, I've been through some things. We could talk about it. But it allowed her to open up 
And in her opening up, we've been able to make so much process, just just so much progress with her. And um, I ended up um, buying, doing things for her kids. So for the holiday season, her kids can have a great holiday and everything. And they don't have to feel the effect of their living situation in this particular moment. So, you know, and I reach out to her on, you know, and I'm like, hey, you know, what are you doing? Let's go to lunch, you know, and get the kids together. I'm going to come and get you guys. We're going to go to lunch and we'll just go out. And if it's to the park or anything like that, just so they can have those type of outings and experiences and fun, because you never know what that shelter life is doing to them psychologically either as little bitty kids so you want to at least try to give them some hope and give Mm -hmm. them something to strive for and to reach for but um this young lady is doing so much better now I'm so proud of her and the progresses that she's made she's enrolled in school to get her medical assistance and everything so she is just doing so much she's doing you know she's on that road to yeah. feeling better about who she is as an individual. And I'm just super proud of her for that. So that's the goal. I'm proud of her too. She see this. I'm proud of you, girl. <laughs> awesome. Well, honestly, just to take that push, it really, really just takes that push. And then someone accepting it too, which is the other half of the battle. So I'm always giddy about those. It's like we really, the work, the work is working. The work is working. <laughs> right. <laughs> And to let them know, like, you're not being judged. Everybody has a situation. Everybody goes through something. And your situation may not be exactly what my situation was, but we all have situations. And I'm not here to judge your situation or to judge you for your situation. I'm just here to say, how can I help? What can we do? What do you want to do? You know, talk to me about what you want out of life and what you expect or what you see. And one of the things I always ask um, people when I, you know, when we're first getting into the mentoring process, I always ask them, if you had a magic wand and you can wave it and make your life perfect, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And I always tell them to write that down for me write down what that looks like for you if you could wave it and if you can erase all the bad and just make your fairy tale land what would that fairy tale land look like for you in your life and then we go over what they write down and we see where can we start what where can we pull goals from this and then we set those goals and then we break those goals down into smaller steps because I'm a behavioral therapists and they teach us you when you're teaching children with autism you take a large step and you break it down into minuscule little bitty steps that they can actually achieve to get them to the larger thing so I always take those goals and then we break those goals down into little bitty steps and then we start crossing them out one at a time and then before you know it you've accomplished the big goal that you set and they're like, oh my God, Miss Liana, I did it. And I'm like, of course you did it. I didn't doubt you. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's move on to the next one now. And then we go on from there. And that kind of helps them to see what they want and how they can accomplish it. Because a lot of times I always tell people, we look at the big picture frame, but what you have to realize is it that big picture is made up of little bitty pixels. It's You know, if you look at a puzzle, it's a million pieces to that puzzle before you get to the big picture of it. Mm 
So you have to take that goal like that, one puzzle piece at a time. And once you do that, the next thing you know, you have the big old picture and you can sit back and pat yourself on the back because you accomplished it. Because you did that. Yes, you did that. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> so, yeah. So I would love to um, join and be a part of whatever you're doing and, you know, help out in any way that I can, because that's just what I feel like my calling is, just helping. Mm-hmm. And same here as well. I will definitely be here to support you and we're going to get it done. Yes, we will. Mm-hmm. Look at me making friends. Having <laughs> <Good>. me. <laughs> Um, so um before we go I started doing something um that I always preference by saying I took it from my boy Richard Heath hey Richard from Ballin' with Rich podcast um one of the things that he does is like a lightning round where he just asks like random questions to kind of get to know you so what I call it is the oh my god I almost forgot what I called it the faithful freestyle girl where's my mind today i have been just off today so what i call it is the faithful freestyle and i'm just going to ask you some questions and you can answer them and it's just our way to get to know you as the individual a little bit better okay i love this idea okay come on okay so first question (laughs) what is your favorite time of day favorite time of day Hmm. I'm kind of in between like early mornings because I like just sitting there and relaxing and midday that's when I'm the most productive so it's one of the two okay okay and are you a dog or cat person dog yay for the dogs not that I don't like cats don't come at me cat people but I do prefer a dog. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I just feel like a cat can't do nothing for me if somebody's trying to break in my house. <laughs> like, but that dog at least gonna bark. It's gonna yap, yap, yap. It's gonna let me know somebody is here that's not supposed to be. <laughs> so, cat can be a little sneaky. I'll be like, I don't know. Right? Like, cat sneak up on you. And I don't like that either. Like, oh uh, announce yourself. <laughs> so, yes. Um, let me ask what was your favorite subject in high school and why math it was definitely math and I don't know numbers just came easy to me so I got it done quick I felt like the man the the woman yeah okay I heard that don't put that woman in on there (laughs) because I was not good at math so that's how I know I need you (laughs) um even now, I'm like, get the calculator. You said three plus two is what? <laughs> Double check that. I'm on fingers and toes and <laughs> I'm drawing lines and subtracting, girl, yeah. <laughs> so definitely need you for the math. Um, what is the best advice you've ever received? I feel like there's one that's not coming to mind, but there's another one that um always go for what you love to do. 
you know, so don't go for your passions and your purpose and not just what you, I don't know how to, I wish I could remember the exact word right now, but long story short, it basically said, go for your passion and that is your purpose and not just what you feel like you need to do just because you're good at it, you know, go for the things that you're, that you're happy and make you happy. Now, you know what? It, my son taught me that lesson. How mm-hmm. crazy is that? Like your generation of y'all are so much smarter than me. <laughs> but my son taught me that lesson because we had our heart fixed on what we wanted him to be. Mm-hmm. Like my mom, he made one statement as a young teenager and my mother ran with it. And she was like, this is, he, this is what he going to be. <laughs> and that's that. And he was just like, man, that's not my passion. That's not what I really want to do. And allowing him to explore that passion has taken him to a level of success that it's just mind blowing. And I know that it's going to only continue to grow. You know what I'm saying? Like he is just, he's so, he's just doing amazing. And he's like my inspiration. And he was the one who also told me like, man, if that's not what you're passionate about, don't do it. He was like, I'm passionate about what I do. So I could go in there and work 17 straight hours and never get tired, never Mm -hmm. feel bogged down, never feel like, oh, I got to get up and go to work. He was like, I literally love waking up, getting dressed and going to work every day because it's what I love to do. He was Mm -hmm. like, so find what you love. And yeah, so that is great advice. Yes, find what you love so it don't never feel like work. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. That's the thing. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so, yes, I wish I would have knew that earlier, though, in life, because maybe I wouldn't have been so afraid to venture out and try things. You know what I'm saying? And um, actually put my foot in this arena sooner, because yeah. I've always wanted to be on stage. Like, I wanted to be Erica Kane. So a part of me still wants to be Erica Kane. And I know you don't know who Erica Kane is. It sounds familiar though, Erica Kane. It's she is um she she is the character. Erica Kane was the character on a soap opera called All My Children. <laughs> Erica Kane. Yeah, I knew the sound familiar. I remember her. She came in stepping and styling wherever she came. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to be a soap star. And then I, Diane Carroll hit the dynasty in the eight. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be Diane Carroll now. So, <laughs> so yeah. But, you know, I wish I would have really embraced that passion early on and invested my time into learning that craft and so forth because you know you never know I might be on a soap opera today who knows but anyway the soap opera's still going so the, the time's still here ain't it right it's still out there and available yes sister like my son say my you just can't give up on your dream you never know when it's gonna hit never know uh, what is the favorite, what is the thing you love most about yourself? Hmm. I would say I'm very creative. I love forming things or like someone just gives me an idea and it already starts forming in my mind very quickly. I'm like, okay, I see we're on to something. I have to do something with that. Okay, <laughs> I like that. Um, and if you had a superpower, what would it be? 
Maybe fly, so I don't have to pay gas. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> That's the only effective one at this point. <laughs> heard that. <laughs> What'd you say? No gas prices for you, baby, with the way they go up and down and fluctuating. But you know what I noticed? Every summer, gas prices go up because it's the summertime. If you really pay attention to the trends, Gas usually spikes during the holiday seasons and more so in the summertime because more people are taking family trips, mm -hmm. they're traveling and so forth. So they spike those, they are very strategic in they what are. they spike those prices. So if you really pay attention, you will notice like, oh, get, yesterday gas was $3 and today is the first day of summer and it's $4.50. You know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> Y'all just gonna creep that up on us like we ain't see it. Right. First day of spring and we got higher gas prices. Make, make right. Sense. And then they'll <laughs> swindle down during the fall season. You know, school starts. They kind of come down a little bit. Then the holidays come around. You might see a little bit of a spike and then they bring it back down and then it goes right. Like, yeah, it, it does that. I've noticed that trend over the years. It happens that way. Um, one more question and then we can start wrapping up. Um, what is your go-to karaoke song? Ooh. Um, I'm gonna ask you to sing it, so be ready. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> Hold on now. She was about to get hang up on me. <laughs> Hold up now. Come on. Don't do me like that. So um I'm trying to find one. There used to be one I used to love, and then I feel like I had to boycott it. Same girl by Usher and so and so. Oh, I was, okay. I used to be my one, but I'm trying to find. I don't know where my. I haven't been to the karaoke bar since, so maybe I need to go back find me a right. Okay, well, since you couldn't find that one, I am going to put one more, and this mm -hmm. one might be a little bit tougher. Um, if you. Well, okay, we'll do something a little bit easier. What? Who was your childhood celebrity crush? Daniel Dwayne Simmons III. His name is also Diggy Simmons. You probably know his dad. Oh, hey, little Diggy. Well, Diggy grown, nah. <laughs> Diggy grown, nah. He is. Yes, yes. That's my man. Well, he used to be. Not no more. I don't know. He never uh, now yeah. that was something I wasn't even expecting because I don't think a lot of people know Diggy like that. But I'm a reality TV like connoisseur. I love my I call it my ratchet TV because I love reality TV. So I used to watch Ron's house. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was my fave. That's what yes. I think we're like two years younger. So when I saw him on Run's house, I was like, oh my god. I feel like almost every girl was like, oh my gosh. Well, I just want to say it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I have laughed. I have enjoyed this um conversation with you. I have learned so much about all of the great things that you're doing in our community and your business. And I'm so looking forward to collaborating with you on many, 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 many things over um, 
you know, at the course of time. So um, usually I like to ask my guests to leave us with something you want people to know, a final thought, a word of inspiration, anything that you want to leave us with. Yes. Well, one, I want to say likewise to you and just congratulations. Your platform is going to go big. I love it. I love it all. Uh, but I would just say no problem to add on. I would just say to everyone to take your time. Um, it is all working out. Just stick to the plan, continue to learn and grow from the experiences that you are in right now, because it's definitely going to help you and your future endeavors. So just take your time and um, be patient and know that it's working. Amen to that. Amen. Well, to my Faithfully Heard community, I want to thank you guys for tuning in with us today and being a part of this epic moment with this beautiful woman, Miss Jasmine Bradford. Make sure you reach out as you see her information is posted. I will also have her information listed in the description box for you so if you miss anything if you're not sure what it says up here in this corner it'll be in the description box so you ain't got no excuses um if you are a community-based organization and you're like me and you're struggling with certain things and you need to understand how to do the budgeting and the financial part or just maintaining your calendar or anything like that reach out to jasmine and allow her to be the one to help you organize and be better at what you're doing so you can focus on the services that you're providing to the community. Um, she is doing wonderful, wonderful work. She is a Michigan resident. She is, you know, a, from Inkster and y'all know Ink, Ink Town in the house. Hey, Ink Town. I have um, some friends that grew up in Inkster who, you know, we're still friends to this day. Um, one of my favorite people, I call her Auntie Kimmy. Um, she is a resident of Inkster. So I'm out in Inkster at her house kind of often and visiting with her and just checking in on her, you know, regularly. So I'm out that way all the time. And it's only about maybe a 10 minute ride from my house. So like I said, anytime you need me, I'm there for you. Um, Let's say we about to connect. Yes. So to everybody else, I just want to thank you again for tuning in. And as always, just remember to show up, show out, and shine, shine, shine. You guys have a blessed week in Christ, and we will be seeing you soon. Bye. Bye.